All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Today, I am joined with Carter and Taylor Liston. They both work here at Natureversity. They are outdoor wilderness educators, uh, and their goal is to help us foster, once again, a deeper connection that is meaningful with the natural world around us. And we do that through the practice of earth-based skills, crafts, and traditions, songs, ceremonies, and so many more exciting things that get kids inspired to go outside. So I just want to say thank you, Carter. Thank you, Taylor, for being here. Thanks and, for having uh, us, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. It's going to be a, f- a fun chat. <clears throat> I'm sure these parents and kiddos who get to have you present at the program are going to be eager to hear these because how often do you get to hear a podcast with your kids' teachers? Right? Ne- never. I don't know. <laughs> never I mean, we might be it. the first. <laughs> no, we're not. Probably not. But so, um, yeah, I just want to hear, excuse me, your backgrounds and we're going to start with where were you born? Tell us about yourselves. Go ahead. So, so who is this? This is Carter speaking. My my twin Taylor's on the other, on the other line. How's it going guys? I'm Taylor. (laughs) Nice. There we go. Now, now everybody knows. So we were actually born in Austin, Texas, but we only lived here until we were three and a half. Um, our dad worked for Dell and we moved up to, uh, near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a town called Cranberry Township, like 30 minutes north. Yeah, yeah. go Steelers. <laughs> um, but yeah, we spend most of our life in Pennsylvania, which is a huge switch up because we get a lot of snow up there. So what, And a lot of rain. <laughs> and a lot of rain. Where we come from, people complain about the rain, but I know down here that Whenever it rains, everyone's like, yes, yeah, rain, yeah. finally. Oh, my gosh, it's been a drought for so long. But um, we loved passing our time in the winter with snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Taylor and I were always avid uh, sports players, any type of sport. But in the winter, our go-to is snowboarding. And, you know, we would get um, two-hour delays every once in a while. But most of the time, since we had snow trucks and snow plows, uh, they would salt the roads and we would have to go to school. I know <laughs> any little amount of snow you guys get here, school's no, canceled and shut down. Shut yeah. down. People <clears throat> just slide around all over the road down here because I don't think that they understand like slick ice and black ice and all that stuff. But probably try to use their brakes, which is like the last thing you, you really want to do. You, you can't slam on your brakes in the snow. No, and the ice. You're going to go flying right <laughs> in the back of somebody. Uh, so you grew up in PA at three and a half. You got there. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so w- when you were growing up, like what were you doing? What were your child passions like growing up besides the snowboarding? So did you start snowboarding at three and a half? We did not start okay. snowboarding at three and a half. <laughs> like, we, started, we started off sledding like immediately whenever we got okay, there. Yeah. I actually have memories of my first snow because it's so profound. I was like, what is this stuff? And me and Carter were running around like our parents had us in a snowsuit. We were playing snowball fights and uh, like there's this little hill in our backyard. And that's another thing about Pennsylvania. It's a lot more hilly than uh, than your Texas, your average Texas climate. Um, so uh, which is great for also like skateboarding, biking and things like that. But, uh, yeah. So did you ever build your own sled, build our own sled? We did not, but we would get pretty creative and, uh, use like tops of trash bins and stuff like that. (laughs) You could use like your McDonald's trays or like, really or something like that. Yeah. Anything that that's, that's slippery and slidey, um, or something that you could also do depending on, uh, like if it was a wet snow and it was like really like packed in on the top, it turns into almost like, it's not ice, but it's super slippery. So you could just 
uh, penguin slide. Yeah, we'd run and just go on our stomach and like just fly down the hill. So you nice. can just penguin slide. Oh my gosh. Um, I remember, so we first got into snowboarding from this video game called SSX Tricky. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> okay, heard of that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar um, with that. But we it's played that as kids, and so our parents one Christmas got us these, like, cheap plastic boards, the one that you just kind of slide your feet in, so they, anytime you tried to go off a jump, and we would, like, make our own jumps whenever the snow mm-hmm. was wet, we could pack them in on our neighborhood hill, and we would try to throw 360s, 540s, front flips off of this, and, like... <laughs> It would just fly off our feet every time. But it <laughs> you needed to fun. tighten those straps. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, honestly, the, these plastic snowboards, if any kid could pick it up, it's it's uh, 20 to 100 times harder than a How regular snowboarder. Um, maybe like, I guess, our, our audience 36 can't inches. See yeah, 36 yeah. inches. Three feet or so. Okay. Yeah. Shorter than what you need. <laughs> okay, shorter, yeah. But, that, but doesn't that make you kind of adjust? And then once you get a bigger board, you're probably yes. like a little bit more, oh, this is easier ride. The first and time short. we did go snowboarding, I remember being amazed because like it's waxed on the bottom. Yeah. So it almost yeah. feels like, like you're surfboard. ice yeah. skating in a way of how slippery it is. Sure. So that was just like, so fast. I remember we were in fourth grade. They gave us this like yeah, the super season. big discount to try to promote little kids to get into snowboarding. Nice. It was we like unlimited, to, yeah. unlimited times for free once you pay like that first round. So our mom, we're, th- thank you for to our mom for being willing to take us out there. She was kind of into skiing at the time. And so we would just got so many reps in maybe like 25 times that year and that's nice. whenever it really like took over into like being one of our biggest passions in life and um I, I guess back to like like climate like wherever I feel like wherever you live and I've lived in a lot of different climates like I lived in Hawaii for a little bit lived in Pennsylvania um Ohio Texas um I feel like everywhere you go people have like their own norms and so like yeah. we were talking about like in Hawaii, it, uh, it rains all the time. In Pennsylvania, it rains all the time. Um, so, you know, just like little little things like that of like what people are like pessimistic about, what people are optimistic mm-hmm. about. And it's, it's I think it's really interesting. And uh, I guess like moving around a lot has gotten me more well-rounded to like just enjoy all aspects of nature. I love the snow. I love the rain. I love the desert. Like anything that's new is just awesome. And um, it's cool. I actually think me and Carter were joking around about, I actually think Austin kids complain less about the heat than our Pennsylvania kids complain about the winter. Like the the cold, people just complain so much in the winter. (laughs) No, they complain about the cold here. Just they wait till winter. But yeah. it's like 50 degrees. Yeah, I'm like, like, are you guys serious? <laughs> yeah. They're, are you serious? Carter's still in shorts and like <laughs> some flip flops and they're like bundled up like you were in the snow, <laughs> snowboarding down your chest on the hill. Yeah. You're like, all right, we, this oh, is crazy. One of our kids had a black hoodie on all week last week. It was 102 degrees on average. No. I was like, what? Was that How true? Are these, these kids are built different. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? <clears throat> I didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that illegal in terms of nature versity? I don't do that? know. Are, are, are pretty... we allowed to name drop people? Or oh, no, 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 no name drops, drop. no name drops. <laughs> I was like, is that true? There's a kid there that a black kid the whole time? That, that, it was a hot week last week at camp. Yeah. So you got into playing outside through snowboarding. Now, did that lead to just general wilderness excursions? My particular fascination, yeah. as most of the people who listen to Nature Versity's podcast and know me know, is that I love animal tracking, and I oh, don't cool. get to do any animal tracking in the snow because I live in Mm. Austin, Texas, and it is not snowy here. And when it does snow, I do get to go animal tracking, but it's very limited. It's like, you know, very finite amount of time because the moment that sun starts cracking and the ice starts thawing and the snow starts melting, it's gone. 
So it's very ephemeral. Ephemeral? What is the word? Ephemeral art? (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, do you want to tell them your experience with the following the squirrel track? Yeah, absolutely. Last last winter, I was in PA last winter. um, uh, So I got to like really go hard into it. Um, and Chris, I, I, I was thinking about you um, when you, whenever I found out that you were like a master tracker, like really, really into tracking. Don't say that. Not a master Not tracker. A, you can a, always learn tracker. more. Just a tracker. <laughs> just a really good tracker in my eyes. It's got uh, some certificate. <laughs> <laughs> just a few. <laughs> doesn't doesn't matter, a few hundred animals. Doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you would love it because uh, I think that in the snow, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, it's, it's different. It's a different animal than tracking in the mud. Oh, of you, course. Even the, even though it's like you know, it's got it's similar. Like you can see, but you can actually tell. I think um, whenever tracks are like brand new and fresh, like if it was just put down, especially if it's snowing, um, like it gives you a really really good time track of like uh, it gives you like a really good feel of like how long it's been. And that's what I was really tuning into this last winter. I was like, oh, these deer tracks, like they must be at least like you know, like 15 minutes fresh because it's snowing a lot right now. And they're like really Mm -hmm. just like, like new, they look brand new, they're deep, they're clear cut. And so like I started following those and within like maybe 20 to 30 minutes, I found the deer, like it just kept going. Yeah. And it was really cool. And it led me to other deer like that. It was around. And uh, so there was like, I remember there's a baby deer and it's like, it's mom. Um, See, that is what the perception of a lot of people listening to this podcast for the first time might perceive the world of animal tracking is is following footprints but mm. <clears throat> in my opinion tracking is just looking at tracks studying sign all of that stuff but i think you what you just described yeah. perfectly is what is called trailing trailing so when you pick up uh, as tom brown likes to say at the end of every animal is mm. a string mm. right and when you find their oh. tracks you're picking up that string so connected, all the way at the end of that string is an animal. But you've got to be able to read the signs, the clues, and the landscape to get to the end of that string. So that's what you did just then. You followed the footprints to the end of the string to where now there is an animal live present before you. Wow, so trailing that. is truly, my opinion, the oldest form of all communication, whether it's like art, science, you know, um, language. Because you're reading the ground, and now you're going to harvest this animal for food. It's the, the origin of that's, us, that's right? I would imagine. That's that's also a, a book written called The Origin of Science by a couple of great trackers out of Africa. But damn, that is a cool <laughs> story that you just told about how you followed a deer yeah. all the way to it. It's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do, but... I would I would imagine in the snow would be easier. Uh, Go yeah. ahead. I, I, I mean, it's really I, cool. I would love to really, I would love really to share a, a quick other observation because I I was getting really deep into it. I'm in the past few years I've been really really into like hiking through the woods alone and like just yeah I feel like you're you're way more aware and present whenever yeah, you agreed. go out on alone journeys and. Uh, and I mean, you don't have any, and I, I leave my phone at home a lot of the times and like you just have the company of just you in the wilderness. And so uh, you start to notice all sorts of sorts of new things. Even if you know a lot about nature, I guarantee you every time you go out on a hike, you're going to learn or like you're going to learn something new or notice something that you've never seen in that way before. And uh, something that I noticed last winter um, was squirrel tracks. And uh, I'm not like a super uh 
knowledgeable tracker. And so like I did uh, confirm that they were squirrel tracks because I was able to like see a squirrel eating a little acorn and uh, notice that it was the same tracks of the ones that I was nice. I was noticing. And so I was following them and I realized that there were squirrel tracks everywhere. Like um, and I'll describe the condition of the snow real quick. It was like um, kind of crunchy snow. So it's like um if you were light on your feet, you wouldn't break the tops of the sure. snow. But yeah. if you were like on your tippy toes, you would sink in. Mm-hmm. So it was that kind of condition. And there was just a very thin, fresh, like little powder on top. And so like that little thin little powder on top of this crunchy snow is where I was able to see the the squirrel prints. And I realized that they would go in circles and they would uh, always end at a tree. And then mm. whenever I looked up in the tree, since there's no leaves in the winter, I could very clearly see their home, nice. which is little like uh, leaf bunches. And I started and I got so excited whenever I noticed that. And so I started bouncing around and I realized the whole forest was covered in these patterns of just wow. like these circles. And they don't go very far in the winter time. They don't go from my observations. They don't go very far from their home they just circle around and their tracks always lead back to like that specific leaf nest and then do like, you know what those are called uh the leaf uh the, mm-hmm. no i don't they're actually called drays 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 cool it's got a cool name right i remember <laughs> that was a mystery of our nature versity one morning you just found a dray laying on lying on the ground you're like oh looks like this is going to be the mystery of the day yep. for the kids <laughs> <laughs> you can find them all over the place here but that's a cool name isn't it yeah you, you're finding drays uh how do you spell that d-r-e-y gotcha Dray. um and squirrels to me a lot of people find as a nuisance and i just find them so mysterious and so Similar to a lot of the way deer work. If you think about deer, every the female is like the apex of the deer world because everything revolves around her. And what I mean is the males seek out the does for you know breeding and the uh, fawns seek out the does obviously for maternal instinct. And then the social instinct is doe to doe. And so... Everything is like at that peak and it's kind of the same way in the squirrel world, you know, and so I love getting to take a look at their tracks to see like you had just said, they don't go far. And what else are they doing? Like I've read statistics about they find 90% of their caches of, you know, nuts and different things. And um, it's so fascinating. I just love observing them. And I think you can learn a lot about them. And in fact, one of the stories from Tom's uh, books was when. You know, Tom was learning to uh, build survival huts, and he was like, what the heck's going on? I'm freezing my butt off. And Grandpa's like, you just got to go watch the squirrels. And he's like, what does that mean? And so he went and watched, and he's like watching them build these drays, and he's like, oh, dang, they're like packing them full of leaves, and that's what I'm going to do with my fort. So thus, like, the the concept of this debris hut, you know, was really manifested and, and chiseled into stone in the survival community because of this lore. But, yeah, it's good to watch squirrels. I really enjoy their uh wild little antics me too um they're funny guys <laughs> so your your play and your dive into childhood with um snowboarding did it ever lead like i said to the freedom of just walking around you know like i said you you found some animal tracks carter what kind of things did you go on to do with the all right i'm, I'm really enjoying being outside a lot where where did it take you Well, I think one of the biggest influences for us, um, I mean, snowboarding was just like one modality of what we like to explore, but we had a deciduous forest in our backyard. Still one of my favorite forests to this day, especially 
having since traveled around the country, hitting a lot of different national parks and um, exploring nature in a lot of different states, um, I didn't realize how beautiful it was up there where we lived mm. compared to like, I would say, I mean, biased opinion, but <laughs> in like my personal travels, like that's still one of my top places to be in nature. Uh, we have tons of wild mushrooms you can forage. They're really tall trees, like taller than what I'm finding in Austin. Um, and lots of acorns. We used to have acorn wars with our friends <laughs> as kids. We used to build like dirt bike ramps in the woods. Um, lots of water. We have we have more water in Pennsylvania. So like the mud like was something that's funny. Like just a difference is like coming into your house. You're always getting the house mud, muddy. Oh. So a lot of angry parents out in, in Pennsylvania. Interesting. Um, okay. Whereas I like here, that. Yeah. Whereas here it's like, oh, my shoes are actually clean on the bottom when I come inside, <laughs> which is like we're all wearing shoes right now. Most people in Pennsylvania would not let us get this far with shoes on in their house. Interesting. And, yeah, the uh, dog poops all dried up here. Yeah. You got to watch out in Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> little things, little yeah. things. Just little things like that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of differences. We have tons of fireflies in the summer. Um, like Carter was mentioning, uh, Western PA is where we're from. It's actually the the capital of um, wild fungus that grows. Like I think it's like the highest concentration in the, com- uh, the country. And uh, so... Um, in the fall, that's like the, the main season for most of the bloom. And like you get chicken of the woods, maitake, oh, yeah. um, all sorts of nice. really fun things. Chanterelles. Actually, whenever yeah. I, I moved down here, I was starting to see some chanterelles came up. I got the first fresh chicken of the woods batch. That was a, a couple months ago now. Um, so like all sorts of different things like that. We have the late fall uh, polypore. It's called a resinous polypore. And it's actually... Uh, also nicknamed steak of the woods because it literally tastes like steak. And I stumbled into it by accident this past year. And I thought it was like maybe like a reishi from a distance, but it was really watery and it had these like orange water droplets coming over like on the end or like underneath it. And I went up to it and I touched it and it was like this really soft, like spongy thing. Steak of the woods. It's called steak of Dude, the woods. That's it amazing. Literally. Y'all, look, y'all like looking steak. this up right now, everyone. Google this <laughs> steak of the woods. Steak of the woods, <laughs> late fall uh, polypore or a resinous polypore. Um, and you'll find it. But I had to double check. So I have an app on my phone called Seek App. And I'm, I think there's a couple other apps. And like usually it's pretty... I would say it's pretty accurate, but there's a lot of times where it's just super inaccurate. So you always have to cross reference, especially if it's something new that you're trying to uh, ingest and, yeah. and eat. So I was cross referencing it. I was looking up a bunch of stuff about it. And I actually stumbled into a YouTube video of a guy. Uh, it's called Learn Your Land. Um, he, he's He has a really, really good YouTube channel for uh, wild uh, foraging. And he actually was on the same trail that I was at in McConnell's Mills in Pennsylvania. And he found a uh, resinous polypore and I was like oh this is such yes. like deep confirmation and that so, is perfect yeah and then, i love moments cook like it up? that yeah you know? I, I brought it home cooked it up ate nice. it tastes exactly like steak uh, it, wow like some chewy steak so it was it was it was surprising how much it tasted like steak i'm uh, gonna have to go up there and try that <laughs> you would you <laughs> would love amazing. it it's amazing it was amazing I, I love i love moments like that i've been getting really into foraging these past couple years and it's just like you're never even 
it's not like you can just seek out like I'm going to find reishi today. It's just like the more you know, the more like comes into your field of awareness. And so it's almost like you're just out on these walks just for the fun of it. And then you get surprised dinners. And, yeah. Like, surprised like gems. So y'all growing up in PA, did y'all go on any road trips like uh, mm-hmm. with your family and things like that out, out, to, out from PA as kids? Usually we would take a beach vacation each summer. And a lot of times we would go down to Ocean City, Maryland. It was like five and a half hour drive to the swim coast. on the beach in Maryland? Mm-hmm. Really? On the coast. On the coast. What the time coast. of year? See, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling y'all. Y'all have to understand everyone who's listening to this podcast. I'm from Texas. I yeah. grew up. I never went to the beaches in Maine or Pennsylvania or anything. So I am, yeah. my perception of that is like blistering cold water. Because <laughs> one time I went to swim in Oregon. And that water was so freezing I was like, ah, I'm watching the seals do it. I can do it too. Oh, hell no. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> I got right out of that water. So what are the For waters For some like in reason, the water on the East Coast is actually warmer than the water on the West Coast. Okay. Um, yeah. I, swam, I swam in Savannah, Georgia one time, and the water was just kind of gross and warm. Mm. So I figured, man, it's just like the Southern thing. But you are right. You There is like a different threshold of the waters just being colder and getting used to it. And we ha- we lived in California for like four months and like the water was so much colder than anything we were used to. And so you, I don't know how to, like your body adapts like so much better than you would imagine. Like right now from like what your body's used to here, it would be like, oh, I only want to be in that water for like 10 seconds and run out. Yeah. Um, it's like a cold plunge. But yeah, yeah it's like a cold, it's like a cold plunge. It, I always laugh whenever, uh, like we went to like one of those like cold plunges and I'm like, oh, this is like body temperature <laughs> water. <laughs> body temperature uh, water. And keep That's it. terrible. <laughs> It was probably 34 degrees, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and keep in mind, me, me and so Carter cool. have, uh, we, we jumped into frozen water before just, uh, you know, for the Wim Hof of it. <laughs> and um, it, it's shot, not to get too off topic, but if you've ever uh, jumped into ice water, it is shocking how like immediately your body just like oh, yeah. freezes up. Locks it's like you just breath. have to, oh, it's oh, wild. Yeah. Dude, it's, my body was not freezing up. It was like immediately when I hit the water, I, without thinking, my body was swimming as fast as it could to the shore. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even think about what I was doing. I was already to the shore. <laughs> my body, my body was like, oh, out. use your use your limbs. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. But uh, but yeah, I guess like I I I guess um a good topic of this like this theme that we're talking about is adaptability. I'm surprised even moving down here. Uh, I was kind of nervous for there to be like over 100 degree summers because we like people in Pennsylvania think 80 degrees is hot or like 85 degrees is like a hot day. And uh, oh yeah, we're like cracking the 100s easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what's funny is like in not even two weeks time. Now my body, like what 102 degrees feels like to me, feels like 80, exactly mm-hmm. the same as it felt like for me to be in 80 degree weather just a month or a couple months ago. So it is really wild how fast the body adapts. And I think that that's something a lot of us don't take into account. And I mean, there's people that live in Alaska and their threshold for like what they're used to is totally different. Um, so yeah, that's- like most recently, the family vacation we went on this summer was um, Outer Banks, North Carolina in this town called Kerala. And it was like upper 70s the whole time. It felt a little bit chillier. I mean, it was nice and direct sunlight. But coming back to Texas and teaching in 100 
two degree weather every day. It was like those first couple of weeks were like <laughs> I had to start over and get readjusted. Yeah, it's hot, man. And, and on the first day, Carter was shivering and out there in the, in the late seventies, he was like shivering and laying out in the sun while my family's like sweating. They're like, Carter, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, like I'm it's adapted. so cold. <laughs> I've adapted to Texas heat. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm try. I always trying to think that you know in the way of survival is like what do you want do you want cold mm-hmm. or do you want heat mm. <clears throat> and it's just six of one half a dozen of the other in my opinion because you where's the water coming from in the heat yeah. you know to cool your body down and thermoregulate and if it is a drought like it is here in austin right now and uh yeah it's but i'm also like i don't want to try to deal with the cold man <laughs> but it seems like once you get down to a certain point <clears throat> You can't take off layers of skin, but mm. you can always add layers of clothes in for the cold for sure, yeah. and do more. You know, insulate more, microclimate within a microclimate type stuff. Absolutely. But would yeah. you be able to briefly yeah. tell that story? I love you telling that. Um, I believe you said it was a tracker school at Tom Brown's school in mm-hmm. Rhode Island that you lived in a debris hut for a certain length of time. No, Jersey. Oh, Jersey. Camps er, in Rhode Island or er, New Jersey. Getting yeah, confused on Cam's yeah, podcast. Yeah, we, we, so <clears throat> we, as mo, I don't want to give too much away for people who are listening to this podcast and eventually go to Tom's school, but uh, there is a moment in one of the um, classes uh, and you have your stuff and then you don't have your stuff. And I'll just give that much. And uh, I'm not going <laughs> to say what happens, but uh, you are basically forced to build a, a shelter and live in it. And it's fun. It definitely puts the, you know, uh, uh, wheels to the pavement, as they say. Mm. Right? It's because it's like, all right, this is full on. I have to not freeze out here. And it's it's exhilarating because I feel like it's real. Like, it's like, I am cold. Like, that's a real feeling. And I think today's perception and culture is very askew. Like, oh, I don't have to worry about the climate in my house because I could just go hit this button right. and it adjusts, right? But the real world would be, it's hot. It's 102 outside. How am I going to cool my body off? Mm. You know. So we're real fortunate to have these devices that do that stuff. But when you don't, you have to adapt. But, but that's the beauty is humans are amazing. That's why we are all over the planet is because we're so good at adapting. And yet, culturally... You know, a lot of uh, <laughs> American kids, uh, they don't adapt well. Mm. They don't. And that's why Nature Versity exists, is to give them an opportunity to experience what's real. The heat, right? Yeah. Fast water, mm. jumping out of trees for the first time. Yeah. You know, Marcus, you know, yeah. that, was, that was brave of him. And I want these kids to have those feelings and adapt. So I have to go have those feelings and adapt. So if you're listening to this, you know, what Carter's saying is, You've got a, you know, Chris, he's, he's asking a story about me going and building this debris hut, but that's where we derive our lessons from nature versity our own experiences. We have to go out there and build a shelter and tell the kids, this is how miserable I was. This is the fun that I had at the same time when it got better. Because I know, I remember the, a lot of the things that the people did was they would like not really do the best you know, because again, going back to American culture, like not a lot of work ethic exists in certain kids anymore. And again, we're trying to get them to understand that. We're trying to say, listen, if you build a survival shelter and you build it properly, guess what? You can do the next three or four days sleep. 
You could be as lazy as you want. You could have no work ethic. But if you have this minimalist work ethic, oh, a little bit here, I'm going to take a break. Oh, I need a break. Oh, I need a break. Like you're going to freeze. And then guess how excited you're going to be the next morning when you wake up to build that shelter and improve that. You won't be because you haven't had good sleep. And so I think we just need to buckle down, build the best shelter we can, or do whatever it is we can, fill up our water bottles, you know, take a bathroom break, get into circle. And we're trying to constantly get them to just understand, just do what you got to do. Like do what you got to do. And then rest for as long as you want. It's like this house. Like I just got this house and it bust my butt for two weeks. Now I'm like, ah, you know, it it comes and goes. So Chris, the way, the way I've been going about uh, shelter building, that's one of our um, activities that we do in summer camps. I'm like, I don't know if you guys have checked the weather lately, but it's supposed to be a pretty bad thunderstorm in an yeah. hour. You have one hour to make your shelter go, go, go. Yes. Just to try to get them in that survival instinct to like really sell it. And half the kids are like, oh no, the rain's coming. And half the kids are like, are you serious? You're lying to me. <laughs> I'm on my phone. Like, yeah, look at this. Yeah. Just screenshot some like I'm like, hey man, from- I can't positively tell you that it's going to rain or not because the weather people they're always wrong anyways yeah, but that's right like what we do is we come around at the end and we get a 20 second countdown we have these big water jugs with um holes poked in the caps to mimic yeah. rainfall yeah and we pour it on and if they get soaked then you know it's like nature telling them well you didn't patch it up well <laughs> enough like maybe try some more leaves next time i don't think um that's one of the hard parts for them is to understand the amount of leaves that they should be having for, on their forest. For sure. Yeah. We always try to encourage that. I usually come around and I just help them collect tons of leaves. That's adults on. too. They remember, they always think roof and they don't think blanket. Mm-hmm. You yeah. gotta think blanket. You know, it's gotta be tight. The, the, the heat that your body is producing has got to radiate back against you in some way with dead air space. Right. So we're always telling the kids, you know, high, uh, density, low mass yeah you know so whatever snow feathers leaves all those types of things but you can't like insulate your fort with mm. dirt yeah you know right. and you can if it's done with other things mud but and- yeah they always try to go like we're making mud i'm like what's gonna happen when water pours on that yeah they're like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like <laughs> it's gonna melt like a you know uh crayon in the heat uh it's so cool to watch kids engineer what they think is gonna serve them and protect them uh yeah but again it's like what what are they supposed to be doing you know they're mm. they're trial and erroring it and I, I love that they're getting to do that in the safe capacity of you know learning thermoregulation now versus when they're teenagers and they're walking down the street in a black hoodie with (laughs) no water bottle maybe carrying a coke in 102 degree heat because i see that i see that around town i'm like why is that happening yeah i don't know hopefully they're not walking far but uh anyway so we i'm I'm curious about your um like school days growing up we've heard a little bit about them and uh i have this question written down here it says when did you discover nature was going to be with you always that's and a great I'm question ask, yeah you both of y'all that so uh, Carter, you mind if i start we can bounce back and yeah, forth. go ahead <laughs> honestly i think i think we were fortunate enough to discover from like a very young age that that was like one of our deepest passions having a 
having the deciduous forest right in our backyard and it was at least a couple miles like uh, like square miles I guess you would say um, so it, ha- it was big enough to have its own ecosystem very occasionally coyotes uh, sometimes black bears um, so it was it was a pretty big ecosystem and as kids that was like the safe place like that was where um, I was just at peace like I felt at peace from my parents from all authority from all society it was like a place for our imagination to just take over and explore and um, in fact nature diversity is like one of the reasons why I love working here so much is it's so reminiscent of my childhood passions like we used to build forts with our friends every day we used to build like bike jumps in the woods out of dirt or we would uh, make up all these games like I don't know if you guys have ever played RuneScape but we took the concept of RuneScape and we applied it to real life so we were like out there like building our craftsman (laughs) skills and uh one of the most impressive things that we did with crafting is um we made uh our own all me carter and our friend kevin made and kevin was an excellent crafter um he uh we we all had our own pocket knives and we would take vines we have a lot of vines in our uh forest and we would uh cut cut off like little like bendy like kind of bow shaped vines and they have a lot of flex and uh, they're very stringy. So we would take some of the strings of the vines and we like make shifted our own bow and we would see how far we could launch sticks. And then once we got our bows crafted, we ended up fighting each other, like playing bows and arrows. And I actually got hit in the eye and had a whole emergency room. Uh, Best shot ever <laughs> though. That was oh like my Kevin God. crafted that himself, like good, 20 foot shot very yeah. straight not, right in the eyeball I'm not even mad about it I, I saw colors differently in each one of my eyes for wow. the next like how, how half fast year. do you think that thing was traveling would it hit you uh, carter you saw it better than i did yeah, <laughs> obviously going off of my like 10 year old memory let's see um, I mean, was it like at least twenty miles an hour? No way! Yeah, it fired pretty fast. I don't. I don't how know far how away you, was it. You said like, like twenty 60 feet, feet or something. Twenty feet. <laughs> wow! It was pretty. It was pretty hard. It, luckily, it wasn't too sharp at the end. It was just a stick. But uh, yeah, I got hit. Like the doctor said, I probably would have went like completely blind if it didn't like stop on my bone. Uh, it was pretty bad. I, wow! I just remember seeing a big white flash of light, like a big white flash of light. Then oh all of a God. sudden, everything was dark, and then just colors, just like vibrant, just colors exploding in my vision. And then I just couldn't see out of that eye or open it for like the next three hours. It was pretty scary. I was like worried I was going to go blind. And then I saw colors differently out of that eye for the next like half year. But then everything just returned back to normal. And like, I'm really lucky. Eyes heal pretty fast, apparently. But uh, yeah, yeah, I can't believe we thought it was a good idea to have a bow and arrow fight with no eye protection. You're just like, yeah, this is good. You, you gotta <laughs> We'd have like things. mud fights, stick fights. Yeah, acorn fights. You got to learn things the hard way, I think. So I mean, not always, it, but yeah. <laughs> sometimes. We, we do use safety goggles when we shoot things at each other at university. <laughs> <laughs> Did you but, learn the hard way? Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, we started out with it. We were like, no, it's definitely... Because what we would do is we'd get slingshots and we'd let them shoot those foam Nerf balls at each other that normally oh, go cool. in the guns, uh, little Nerf guns, and the they would take the sling... Because we want them to get good at like using survival tools, and a slingshot's an awesome survival tool. So we would let yeah. them play Capture the Flag with these slingshots and... Uh, it was super fun. So yes, we know you got to be careful with eyes, especially yeah. at that age. Oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Now for me, this is Carter speaking. My kind of um, birth of passion for nature was just having that deciduous forest in our backyard. 
But um, for some reason, I was really obsessed with birds as a kid, and I got a bunch of bird books, read bird facts, and I think it was something about the freedom of wanting to fly and perhaps be away from society. I also felt like nature was a safe retreat for me, and I just had this fantasy in my head for maybe since I was seven. I'm not sure the exact age, but I just like imagined myself alone in the woods, alone in the rainforest specifically, up in a tree, just like taking notes and observing nature as like a scientist would. And um, I never quite lost sight of that was like always within me. But as I kept getting older, I felt like the pressure of society to want to like, I didn't know that like nature was an option for a career. Mm. You always are told like, Find a job that's going to make you a lot of money, security, um, go start a family, live happily ever after, find the one true love, all that stuff. And yeah. it's like, Carter, but, can I add um, something to one of the things that we both would tell our parents? I feel like it was at some points almost like on a daily basis that we just want to live in the woods forever. And our parents are like, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, they and they always like, say, you can't do that. <laughs> You have to get a real job. <laughs> and and as we get older, I realize that you actually can. <laughs> you can. Exit and build. Yes. It's a great organization out there to, to, to learn to do that. But, um, so, so recently, um, well, in college, Taylor and I went to Kent State in Ohio. Um, and I was undecided for my first three semesters. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Parents are just like, go get a degree. They were saving up money for us to go to college and um that just like really expanded our social skills and just like exploring new ideas uh we both eventually decided on psychology purely out of interest um just loved learning about the human mind and um taylor discovered something called wilderness therapy through a friend that had done it and that just idea stuck in my head. So we did a little bit of research. We were looking at moving into Asheville, North Carolina. Um, but I'm trying to think how that got, how we looped back to that. Anyways, we went, we went out to Malibu in California. We got into music in college too. Like we were really loved writing music. We were part of like a hip hop group. And one of our favorite artists at the time, Cisco Adler, he, um, Taylor reached out to him on Twitter. He had said, I just looking through some old beats. and I think one of these could really blow up and kind of like DM me if you're interested. So Taylor sent him some of our music. He was interested. We had a similar vibe. So we went up uh, to Malibu in California for about a three month um, internship. And then that's around the time when Corona hit and everybody oh, was in mass panic. Yeah, he yeah. was one of the first ones to be like, buying four months worth of food had like <laughs> masks didn't want to come to the house anymore he's like you guys should stock up on food too and then short our dad Mass was freaking panic. out for us to come back home so uh. we went back home to pennsylvania for a little while and uh. just ended up working at whole foods uh it was weird because everybody was wearing masks you couldn't even like there was like months in before you even see your co-workers faces but um fun. anyways my girlfriend and i we took a three-month road trip around the country. We kind of converted our Honda CRV into an RV, if you will. Built this wooden platform in the back for a bed to sleep on. You could put the luggage underneath, and we just 
spontaneously. I mean, we had a rough way out of where we were going to go, but every day we were like finding a new place to stay. Uh, we would tent camp. We would sleep in our car if we have to. A couple of times we slept out at um, Love's, uh, the trucker stop Love's. And yeah. Did you, was yeah, this so was free. all during this was all during Corona. You were doing this. This was last summer. Last summer. So, so I guess like still kind half of in, in, half out. Yeah. So, <laughs> like post major Corona. Yes, and it was yeah. really interesting to see like the different places that were like really serious about masks and taking it really seriously and uh, more yeah. scared. And then like other places, it was like. What's Corona? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like really <laughs> yeah, interesting the, the to United see. The United States is pretty divided. Yeah, there's been that. a big duality. I love it. It's so yeah. fun to see. But that trip, like visiting all the national parks, especially out west, like I was so grateful that um, people like Teddy Roosevelt had like dedicated these places to preserve nature how it was before because they saw what was happening on the east coast and like we do not want that happening on the west coast and like all of this natural resources just being like wiped out by civilization yeah so i'm so grateful that they like dedicated these spots and it gave me such a deeper appreciation for the beauty of america i didn't realize how beautiful of a country it could be Uh and Mm -hmm. that brought me back i'm like man like i'm tired of like i like food and i like working with food but i want to i've got to do something with nature and Mm -hmm. so whenever we decided to move to austin i was like rekindle i want like any nature job like i don't even care what it is right now i'll do like trail maintenance or a little tour at like the wildflower center or whatever but i'm so grateful that on indeed i found i just i think i just typed in like nature jobs and nature popped up i'm like that sounds perfect <laughs> you picked a good uh, name <laughs> i looked <laughs> well marketed chris <laughs> um, i looked at all the um I looked at just everything you wrote about, like on your website, and I'm like, oh, even like the style of writing sounds like right up my alley. Uh, I'm a big writer, but I, I just like I resonated with everything, so I came around and uh, interned here because you had just gotten like a full staff at the time, so like a full time job wasn't available. But I was interning for a few weeks, and then you let one of the other teachers go, and then you asked me to jump on board because I'd gotten along with everybody and. From there, just been best job I've ever had. Nice. Been really, really passionate, and <clears throat> kids are so inspiring, and they look at the oh. world through such like a fresh set of eyes that are unfiltered mm. and, and raw, and like it just taps you back into like how we were as kids, and how I, amazing I always, the world is. Too. Yeah, I always tell them that um, we can learn just as much from you guys as you guys can learn from us. Uh, childlike wonder keeps us awake from. The Learned Slumber is a quote that Taylor and I came up with that really holds true to our heart. And um, yeah, it's just really inspiring. Like I've had so many days where I've come into work with all these like stones in my bowl of light, so to speak, if you follow that metaphor, like burdens lugging on my shoulder from like personal life or just like relationship struggles. But every time I come we do it's called like a bmt bring minds together mm. the teachers just like bounce it's like uplifting positive energy brainstorming new ideas and immediately just like that melts away and you tap back into the moment and then the kids get here and they're like so excited and uplifting it's like how could you be bad in that environment or like or like sad in that <laughs> environment it's like impossible so it's like 
at least for this eight hours, it's just so uplifting and that kind of carries throughout the week, which makes other problems kind of feel less severe, which is cool. And uh, I remember, so I, I just remember hearing all of these stories that like me and Carter would talk on the phone a good bit and just remember hearing all these stories and how inspiring it was. And I immediately thought, I was like, wow, this is like, this is like our childhood dream in a way, like you're living it. Like I was so, I was so excited for him. And at the time that he was working here, I was over also doing wilderness stuff. I was living off grid with my girlfriend in Hawaii, in Hawaii on the big island um, in a town called Pahoa. It was a three mile walk into into town and it was a nice small town. And so I really got to like be fully immersed in this off grid lifestyle and living sustainably, which is for many years has been really high on my bucket list of skills to learn. Like, how can I how can I make this a reality of uh, going back to the roots, going back to nature, uh, living sustainably? We collected our own rainwater. Um, we lived out of a tent. Um all sorts of things. We uh, had solar panel electricity, so keeping track of like, uh, like, it really gives you such a deep appreciation when you live like that because you realize how little you actually need to rely on technology. And I would only use my phone for like uh, pictures or videos really, or like note taking if like I'd, I had some like ideas or songs that I was writing. Um, and so I really only used electricity to charge my phone or uh, we had a, we had a laundry machine and like, it, it's just cool. It's like you had to, uh, in order to operate anything that was big, we would wait for the sun to be like high in the sky. And we're like, okay, now we like do our, we use our energy that we've been harnessing throughout the day on this. And, uh, you know, we had chickens, on, uh, chickens on our property, like 30 chickens. So we always get, we're getting fresh eggs. Um, we had a bunch of gardens. Uh, there was, there was also a lot of wild guava, uh, trees like on our property. So tons and tons of ripe guava, all sorts of different things. We were growing taro, uh, which is called kalo in uh, the Hawaiian language. So we're growing a lot of kalo, a lot of uh, sweet potato, um, a lot of cassava, which are like th those three, three things are so big in Hawaii. Like I feel like everybody yuka. grows them. Yeah, the yucca. Um, Not to be confused with the yucca, everyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat yucca roots. Don't eat the yucca roots. <laughs> you can roots. eat yucca roots. <laughs> that, yeah, that's always confusing too. Yeah. There's like one C difference. Um, but just living that lifestyle, man, like, uh, just imagine going to bed and not hearing a single car in the distance. It's just, wow. the only thing that you can hear out there is Koki frogs. Uh, and they, I, I wish Jorge was here cause he can do a perfect imitation of the Koki uh, frog. Um, Jorge will be on soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should, you should sneak that in there and be like, and I hear you're pretty good cause he's from Puerto Rico, but anyways, drumming uh, Koki. the drumming Koki, <laughs> but the Koki frogs are so peaceful to fall asleep to. And, uh, and just the amount of stars you can see is absolutely, it's immaculate. Like just like you can see the Milky way every single night. Um, especially, when it's more towards a new moon just like the amount of stars and like when, when you're living out like that it's like no wonder there's so much magic and there's so much like epicness and like and myths and religion and spirituality like was so present in like our our earlier roots and like these um these people that are living indigenously that are still in touch with that or that's still like living in the jungle still living like so close in the like, communication with nature it's like no wonder they see life so vividly it's like it, it and, and, and it I had this epiphany, like this realization that so much of our problems, our modern day problems are, are just 
purely simply coming from that we're disconnected with nature and that we don't have that uh, that connection anymore. And so like, no wonder so many people are going around and just, uh, kind of lost and confused or depressed and anxious. Like, um, it's like they, it's, it's like a film has been like poured over their eyes over time, um, that they just, they don't see the magic anymore. And I think what's so special about kids, um, especially for you parents listening out there, it's like, you have such a beautiful opportunity to reawaken and peel that film off your eyes and like see the world with such fresh perspective, like looking out of a child's eyes. And I think that, you know, that's, that's back to the roots. They have so much to teach you about Mm -hmm. the magic of the world and, and, and equally it's a mutually symbiotic relationship. You have so much to teach them about the worldness of like, of, of the rules of this world and like how things work and the physics and like how like, you know, our society operates and cultures and like history and all sorts of cool stuff, but they have equally cool stuff to teach you. So like, don't, I love, I, lo- I love so that true. perspective <laughs> so true. And, and that's something that I love about this job. So, so fast forward to now, like coming straight from Hawaii and, uh, uh, being back. So I, I went straight from Hawaii to Pennsylvania, um, for, you know, like a, a month or so got, got grounded and then came, came out here to visit Carter and just like absolutely fell in love with nature diversity. I'm, I'm so glad Chris was, was so on board with me just like vol- volunteering and coming right into it. And, um, you know, it was, it, I had so much fun that week. We were playing games nonstop with these kids and it had been, it had been a while for me in my personal life where I was in a situation. I, I've been a summer camp counselor before, but it had been at least five years since I've like really worked like hands on with kids. And it just, wow, it just like reawakened so much energy within me. Like kids are always having so much fun and uh, thinking like so imaginatively with the world. And um, it's so fun just to teach them and like have to, I think you learn so much by teaching and just like having to come back to the fundamentals and try to, some concepts really make you think like they ask you a question that's just so obvious and like in your mind that you almost don't know how to explain it like you have to like really think about it it's like okay I can do this I can do this and I think yeah uh, I think so many parents out there just kind of were like because I said so or like because it is and like there's that and that's it but that doesn't that like I think that'll just like build resentment with the kid or like build numbness or some type of like inner like traumas because it's like this kid doesn't know he like you don't born you're not born into this world knowing like all knowing you just yeah so it's like yeah it's really sad i saw one time i was at walnut creek park and these uh this family was like leading their little three or four year old daughter and you know they were like come on this way come on this way and you could tell so intuitively that she wanted to just like stop and like be present right there in that moment and like let you know, just like let her curiosities unfold and like, what is this and touch this. And like, I think the reason that it's not fostered like that moment Mm. by those parents potentially is because those parents don't have that understanding of what is safe and things. And the trail is like goes to and fro and that's safe and diverting from the trail. We are always told, you know, stay on trail and leave Mm -hmm. no trace and all these things. And it really doesn't allow for curiosity and imagination to unfold. So even at an early age, like you're, being told to stifle that curiosity but it's Hmm. not because they don't value that it's because they themselves don't have that curiosity those those parents Hmm. so you telling us you know here that you get to engage in that curiosity at your job 
that's what everybody needs, you know, and and in certain sectors there is like, you know, there's scientific research and there's all kinds of stuff like that. Being a teacher usually isn't one of those. You usually are given a standardized curriculum that you're about to follow rigorously or else, right? So I want Natureversity to be this place where you can come in and say, yeah, like I, I don't have all the tools. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the solutions, but what I do know is that I'm going to let my curiosity unfold with these kids. Like, and and when I say like, you don't have all the answers, meaning like to their questions, potentially what bug is this? How do I, you know, purify water with only these things? And you're like, well that I don't have that experience yet, but let's do it together. Since we have those things, like we get to do real teaching with the kids. So because so many of our kids come I think from a culture and a place of the teachers do have all the answers. Yeah. And when we say to them, well, I don't know, they're like, well, wait, you know, <laughs> but we have a culture at Natureversity that's the opposite. They're like, oh, we're going to learn this together. Like, and yeah. that's, that's magical. So I, I'm really excited. So Carter, I wanted to ask you, you've been working here a little bit longer uh, than Taylor has. And um, it, what is, what is your in, in, in opinion on the toughest part of the job? <laughs> Great question. I would say, and it can for you can, me. You can be honest. It can be with me. It can be with <laughs> your fellow staff. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I have the personality where I very open, easygoing. So I've never had much issues with working with anybody. I'd say for me, the hardest part of the job is perhaps because I'm so easygoing is like the discipline aspect. Yeah. Because kids will definitely push your boundaries and push your buttons and try to get away with stuff. And sometimes it crosses over the line into safety. And especially this summer, just getting like new kids every single week, you have to like, you say like hard, easy, be hard on them in Mm -hmm. the beginning to like kind of get the culture instilled and then like ease up later on. Um I'd say we just so many reps this summer. I've gotten so much better and like more confident in myself at saying like, hey, no, like don't do that. That's not safe. And here's why I always try when I can to explain why I do things. I think that's really important Um, instead of just saying that's how it is. Because I also like to use this quote, um, those who have a why to live for can bear almost any how. Because it's like, there you go. I love that one. It's like knowing why you do something, you can overcome any challenges. It's like what the passion that fuels you through the hardship. Yeah. That sounds like a Simon Sinek quote. (laughs) Do you know who that is? No, I don't. He wrote that book, Find Your Why. Oh, Oh, yeah. 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 But that dude, he probably is going to steal that quote from you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Simon. Just kidding. (laughs) I didn't make that up. That was from some German philosopher. I'm blanking out on the name right now. Uh I was inspired by that quote. But that's true. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely say discipline. Discipline. Yeah. Would mm. be the single biggest thing. But I've grown like this job has gotten me to grow more in a lot of aspects and even like going to college and mm. it's been one of the biggest growth spurts out of like anything I've ever done because it's yeah. almost like parent training but yeah. also getting back in touch with my childlike self and nature and like our ancestor skills Mm. and yeah just like i feel like whenever you're around kids it almost like calls the best within yourself forward yeah 
because you're yeah. like leading. All right, like I don't know. It's almost like it makes you braver. You're like, I gotta set like the best example possible because it's the future generation. I'm gonna be yeah. brave in this moment, and it's almost like yeah. on a day to day, like more unfolds and you like surprise yourself at like what you can do um yeah it's a good it's a good job for conquering fears for sure yeah definitely. yeah yeah i feel like um it's like it demands like this resolve of like having to bring out like your passion with them and like lead by example because you're you're on the you're on the front line of all these kids eyes and attention and so i think it just like it calls out like this I, I, and I feel like it, it happens with everybody. It's just like this this new chapter of like stepping into that role, at least a new chapter for us. I know that you've been doing this for a while, but it's like this stage of like where you're jo- journeying from like young man until all of a sudden like like fatherhood almost like yeah. or, or teacherhood. You know, it's like that that second stage of life where you're it, it feels very full circle to have to give to give back and be. And me and Carter both like really intend that we can be the best of all of our favorite uh, um, teachers combined and surpass that. And I think like the, a good teacher is somebody who um, can allow their students the tools to surpass them. I think that's like a a good, a good way to think about it. Yeah. It's almost like you have to let your ego go because part of you might be like, no, I'm better than, I could be better than these kids. But then, like, something even more wholesome is, like, no, dude, that would be even cooler if you were better than me in the future at these things. Well, it has to be. It's yeah. evolution. Yes. You know, it's biology. You need to adapt, you know, better. I would hope. But have you ever, you know, there's an old saying that says, I don't know, you know, this isn't the be-all, end-all quote, but there, there's an old saying that says, the son of a great man never is. Mm. You know, and it's usually because you squander. And there's another saying. It's, oh. uh, what is it? It's the first generation. No, it's good. No, it's, it, no, strong no, strong man. Great. No, that's the we, other no. one. That's the, <laughs> there, it's the first generation generates, second generation speculates, third generation obliterates. Mm. Is I think what. So you got to look at it like this. Like I was, you know, it's funny. I'm just talking about my personal life here, but I was cleaning up my garage last mm. night and I, this is how I do it. Y'all, this is going to be funny. Maybe the other people who are listening to this out there do this too. I put on hoarders that show on TLC. <laughs> and then I listen as all those people are like, I'm so excited to get rid of this. And some of them were like, ah, I can't get rid of this. I'm just like throwing stuff away out of my garage and like purging my house. And so I just put that on and I just listened to it. But it's, it, it, <laughs> it's so, oh, I, man, that's awesome. I think purging and getting things out. Um, oh, great. Now I forgot what I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just now I got on this horror stage. I start purging and getting things out of my life. What was I? Go- Where was I going with that? Um, cleaning your garage. Cleaning your garage. We putting were on hoarders. No. The generation. The generation. Oh, God. Uh, I forgot about it now. I'm so sorry, y'all. That's okay. We're, we're talking about how... Oh, gosh. Sometimes it's good just to go on a tangent and have a laugh. But I was... I'm just going to say that for a reason. I was cleaning up my garage and it felt good to... You know, just purge, like to get things out. And I don't know where I was going with it. <laughs> don't know. But that's okay. We'll continue on. So what do you think is the toughest part of this job, Taylor? 
Okay, good question. I actually also have a very similar perspective as Carter. I think I think the I think the first week that I started, um, so I was with the, I was with the oldest group of kids, which is probably what's perfect for me because they were the ones. I, I think the, the older you get, the more you uh, become rebellious and the more that you're willing to like step outside of those um, boundaries and like test the rules. And um, oftentimes, kids like have no filter on what they say. They'll say exactly like what's on their mind, even if it's rude, because they might not be thinking like that level of empathy yet so they'll just they'll go right into it and so I think that first like just couple days I think I realized that I realized immediately what my weakness was um as being like this parental figure that I'm, I'm trying to like sculpt myself to be a better like the best you know the best father the best teacher that I can be and I think that discipline and just like um I think the quick responsiveness is like one of the things because I, I just it wasn't in my wheelhouse of like um, of norm that I was used to is like disciplining kids. And so I think that like where kids are being rude and stepping their boundaries and like not listening or maybe being mean to other kids or, or whatever, like any 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 thing along the lines of like where they're being disrespectful or they're um you know stepping out of bounds I think that the first week that I was here at least the first few days I was really like slow to react and if you hesitate then all of a sudden they're like oh I can get away with this yeah and it has to be quick and so I I realized that pretty quickly and so the second week uh, I was so much better and so much more on top of it just putting that intention and taking note of like where I had messed up with the first the first week and and it's not like the kids didn't respect me I think I I think I was I think some of my strengths were um getting on uh inspire I think some of my strengths are inspiring kids getting deep on their level being able to like have one-on-one connections with them um being able to relate to them and like share a lot of stories and have a lot of fun and like and wisdom and I think I'm I think at this point in my life I've developed into a pretty good teacher at being able to teach what I know and being able to you know adapt very quickly to situations but where yeah where my weaknesses um still kind of kind of are but I think I've gotten so much better since I've I've worked here it's just like that really quick like just dis- direct discipline of like hey absolutely not but I think I have gotten a lot better and I've learned Boundaries. a lot of skills from from you Chris I've learned a lot of skills from other teachers I've learned a lot of skills just in myself and my own observations and you know you can always like I, I think I think one thing that I learned from you that I really really like that you do is whenever a kid um, is stepping outside of your boundaries, you immediately are like, whoa, 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 why is that? A, why is that not a good idea? Like you kind of probe them to think like to have this like self conscious be turned on and like why do you think this might not be safe? Like I, I think I I witnessed like one of the first weeks I was working here, one of our students just like whipped out and like his knife like really dangerously. There's a lot of kids standing around and he was he was about to stab this tree that you were teaching him about. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, hang on, hang on, slow down. First off, there's three other kids around here. Why do you think this might not be a safe idea? And then he's like, oh, uh, well, I think I could probably accidentally cut them. And, you know, just like kind of you can see them like feel guilty immediately and be like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I am. I'm being kind of dumb here. And then and then it's like I think I think a lot of kids um, I think a lot of kids understand the empathy uh, right away, like where it's it's not good to put other kids in danger. But I think where a lot of kids don't have that awareness yet is on animals or like on ants, for example, like a lot of kids will just go over and start killing things without any remorse. And I, and I think that that's something that, um, 
that I've been getting good at is just like, hey, 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 like, like bringing it down to their level and being like, you know, these things feel and they just like you, like if somebody like, would you want a giant to just run over and stomp on you? Like, wouldn't that scare you? Like, wouldn't that be painful? And, and they get it. And like, whenever you, whenever you even just like try to explain a little bit or get to their level, they, they understand. And then they, and then I watch them and I love watching the growth. Then they, continue i love i love whenever it's a success story and they like continue and then they even tell their peers like oh no no don't do this because like because of this and that's like one of like the rewarding parts of the job i think is whenever you can inspire them and reach them in a way that they respect you and understand it and then they even go on to tell their friends and be like no don't do this that's awesome it's such a cool feeling (laughs) yeah discipline and being direct with them and drawing boundaries is probably the hardest thing for a lot of adults because they don't even do it with other adults. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, it's weird that it's almost like we're purposely not taught those kind of social engineering skills in school. And then how do you develop them? Well, you're certainly not developing them with social media, you know, And that's, if anything, it's causing a further wedge between your interactions with humans. You know, it makes it very difficult. There are people who are really struggling to find relationships and things like that, who are Gen Zers and Xers and all that stuff, because the social media has literally messed them up. And so I, as a kid growing up, was, you know, not given the best childhood and had a lot of uh, neglect from both parents and things like that. And I felt, you know, yeah, making others feel the way I feel could be an outlet, Yeah, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's how do you, how do you help kids who are coming from that place, right? Of their needs not being met, not experiencing love and, um, you know, I don't remember if it was Micah who told me this, but um, she always said anything that is not love is trauma. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that just hit me. Like, I'll never forget that. That's the one thing that I took from her that um, I'll never forget. And I like I, that. I love that. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Or I've never thought about it like that before. But that's was, that was shocking. Because, you know, I would ask her, like, what is this trauma you speak of? And then she said that one day. I was like, whoa. I get it. Like that's, that's in a nutshell, that is true. And, um, so kids who experience trauma come to us, you know, it's like, we obviously don't know what their background is, but I'm saying like, it it could be anything in their perception of trauma. Their perception could be, I wasn't given the pop tart this morning. I was forced to eat this. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like that might be traumatic, (laughs) but you know, again, no matter where it's at, like we want to be able to help them through that and to understand. And so that always leads me, you know, to what, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, they get these um, situational friends saying, what do I do? What's the advice you would give me? So I always retort back to the kids, you know, Hey, well, you're asking for advice. Like what would you give to another kid who is asking that question? What would you Mm. say to them? Mm. And that's what you should tell yourself. Because usually you're about to give some sage wisdom, right? Like they're (laughs) like, yeah, you know, that that person's not being very kind to you. You should let them know. And then you should do that. And it's like, okay, you just told 
all you just you just solved all your solutions. So, you know, Taylor, you saying like when you ask them questions, that is exactly what we need to do all the time, and that's why the Invisible School of Naturevisity and so many other wonderful schools out there is so beautifully poetic because we're just turning empathy like in and mm-hmm. getting empathy to manifest in like real world time. Yeah, we're like, oh look, watch this. <laughs> How would you feel? You know, how would you feel if somebody spoke to you like that? And uh, it's good. But you know what's weird is a a lot of people have told me as a teacher, oh, you shouldn't be their friend. You shouldn't be their friend. But I find Mm. that engaging them like a friend sometimes helps with that empathy. You know, like for instance, um, when they talk to you in some way, you're like, hey, like, is that how friend like is that how you talk to friends like i thought we were buddies i thought we all respected each other i thought we because i Mm. think it does Mm because going back to the teacher perspective of they look at you like this authoritarian figure of can do no wrong make no mistakes like they need to see you make mistakes because then it allows them to see within themselves like that making mistakes is okay and to honor and be accountable for those mistakes and so sometimes when i talk to the kids like a friend i'm like hey like why would you talk to me like that? Like, I thought we were buddies. Like, is that something? Do you talk? Do you talk to your friends like that too? Like, yeah. this is weird. And they're like, "Whoa!" You know, <laughs> especially if they've already kind of put you in that bracket of like yeah. role model. You know, a mm-hmm. lot about nature and survival, and like, then it's kind of like you know. And I'm not trying to say we're shaming them, but I'm trying to say like we're getting them, like I said, to enact real world empathy right there. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So it, teachers listening to this. Um. So this brings me to my next question for both of y'all is. The advice that you would want to have heard before starting this job, you know, mm-hmm. what was, what would be something that if you could go back and tell yourself now, I know it hasn't been that long. It's only been a year or so yeah. that y'all been doing this, but, um, it's, yeah, I want to hear what you think you would tell yourself if you go back. This, qu- you- this question's hard, but I think that it'll bring up a lot of really awesome conversation because like, I think it's one of these things that it's like you have to almost dive in to swim because you, you know, like being a teacher and being that role, uh, if if that's what we're specifically talking about with this job, um, sure, you can prepare all you want and read about how to be a best teacher, which I mean, I'm sure I've read, you know, books and like things like things along these lines. And like, I've, but I feel like in a way, like I've kind of been preparing myself for this this type of role for a while like I've had the intention to like really be a good teacher and I've uh, I was a coach um for for for, uh, like in my my senior year of high school I started a lacrosse clinic um so I taught lacrosse um for that little little clinic and uh you know we've done summer camp uh council like summer camp teacher at a church that we went to whenever we were in high school and so like we've had like those kind of experiences in the back pockets I think of like kind of been like developing um but I think just like the conversation that we just had like where uh it would have been awesome to like talk about too because um I had I think I had had to see that in action it was like it was a part of teaching that I didn't really like have under my belt until now and like now I'm really like practicing and working with it and it's opened up this whole new door is like asking them questions like getting on their level and like and and do so so I, so essentially what I'm saying is I don't even know if I could have prepared better for this job like I don't I don't know it's 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 just been something that I've been learning so much through just the experience of and it's like you know, like what, what I was saying, you have to dive in to swim. You can't swim unless you're in the water. So I think this is the water and like, I'm really learning nice. through it. So that's, that's what came to mind. I didn't have any, um, uh, any direct things. Carter, do you have any thoughts on that? 
I think the main thing that's coming to mind is like looping back to that whole struggle to be in like that role of calling kids out on whenever they are doing something that's like really misbehaving and like I guess I would tell myself don't feel bad to call them out because it's better for everyone in the long run like if you just Mm -hmm. allow a kid to get away with being disrespectful over and over and over again Mm -hmm. yeah that's a disservice yeah it's a disservice for them like they're gonna walk around and have enemies instead of people are really like trying to help them out um it's bad for you because you're just getting walked over it's bad for everyone else around because they're not liking the disrespect that this child is having yeah so i think that was like a big perspective switch that I've had to go through. And maybe it was hard because it wasn't that, that long ago that I was a kid too. And I was rebelling against authority and, mm-hmm. and I mean, not in like, yeah, a, me too. I was never too, too disrespectful, but you know, just like, I don't know that search for freedom. Um, yeah. So I would say being quick to act on discipline, calling kids out for things that they're doing that are unsafe and disrespectful and not letting them get away with it. And again, the, this summer has been really good with how many reps of different kids we've been getting. Um, I would also tell, I guess one, one thing that helps for me with this job is like, I'm a big writer and note taker. And I guess I would encourage new teachers if they do like to write, um just write like I have like so many notes on my phones of like Mm -hmm. options we can do for class and like every (laughs) single thing that I've done for a class I'm like all right we've done water purification and this is what we did um I have like a whole quotes list that I've read to them um stories that I've done I just like try to keep track of like all the inspirational things yeah that I have done here so it's like you're building like a bigger and bigger, bigger uh, word bank and vocabulary to pull from and reference. And sometimes whenever you get to like back in a cycle of routine of doing the same stuff, I can just like look back at those notes mm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much more I forgot yeah. about. And one thing that I really like that's been growing on me more and more is the importance of storytelling and like yeah. reading kids books. Absolutely. Um, or like grandfather in particular, yeah. I know that was a very important one for you. That's one that Taylor and I are about halfway through now, and it's so revitalizing. Um, uh, grandfather was an elder in this Apache Native American tribe, and he was essentially one of the last like authentic nomadic tribes before you know like white settlers took over, and they were always living kind of in the shadows like watching out for people who would want to do them harm or throw them into reservations Mm -hmm. and grandfather became a scout for his tribe where he was always on the lookout looking for uh, danger but also like safe places for their tribe to settle down in new areas to set up camp and yeah he went on like a really big spiritual adventure and alone journey which this whole like concept of being alone in the woods is something that has called out to me ever since I was a little. And I don't know exactly why, but 
something I want to explore more and more. And I just went camping for the first time alone just this past year. And it gave me so much. To, like, I understand how people could have the time to write books if you just, like, are alone with your mm-hmm. thoughts. Yeah. Especially in nature when you can observe what's around you, reflect, just write for hours. Um, it also gave me the confidence that, you know, I don't need anybody else to go camping or like do these things. And it doesn't even feel lonely. (laughs) It's like when you're alone, you feel connected, more connected to everything. Mm. It's really a cool concept that Mm -hmm. I'm trying to explore more with. And I feel like all of these, um, I don't know, like religious people in the past, like, jesus and buddha and all these people have gone on these like long lone voyages and reached enlightenment or gotten insights and i don't think there's ever a time where i've gone out alone in the woods where i haven't brought at least something back Mm. even if that's like an uplifted dude and even like going some of the biggest inspiration for this job that i've had is go to the park that we work at outside of work by myself and just hike the trails because you're not having to worry about kids and what they're doing. You're just like alone with nature. Like, Oh, there's those plants. I can point those out to those kids and I can do this activity. It's just like so creative and inspiring to do that. Yeah. I just did that last weekend or two weekends ago now, um, at Mary Moore and I was practicing building, uh, making cordage out of, out of the yucca leaf. And it's just, it's such an intimate experience when you're just, you have no other, uh, you know, person to confide in or any instant gratification or like any, like these distractions. It's just like you tune into everything that's around you. And, um, we do these things called sit spots, uh, where you, you know, you'd like, I, I guess it could be for any duration of time, but I did my, my sit spot out there, um, in the dried up Creek of Marymore. And I was in the same place for about two hours. And it's amazing because you almost become invisible, what it feels like, or, a better, maybe a better way to describe it is that everything around you begins to trust you as you're not a threat. Mm-hmm. And so in those types of situations is when animals start to come out. I saw two porcupines get like really comfortable with me and they're playing and rolling around in a, in a puddle, like maybe 10 feet away from me. And then they started getting even closer and wow. closer. I got to see that it. Was amazing. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And uh, I'm not from around here. So uh, that is a super new experience for me to see armadillos. I was I was trying not to laugh. They're so cute. And uh, I saw it ran into a porcupine and I was like, whoa, this thing is huge. I never knew porcupines were this big. Like you see them in kids books and stuff. And I thought it was going to be like this cute little like, you know, hedgehog like, looking thing. Hedgehog. No, Ser- they're big. Yeah, seriously. I, my first immediate thought was like, oh my gosh, baby bear cup. No, no, no. This is a, this is a porcupine sleeping on a rock. Um, but like, it's, it's amazing. And I, it, what amazes me too is that I feel like it's almost uh, in our modern society it's almost like a majority of people haven't had a lone hike in the woods even if it's just for a day and uh, so it's something that I always challenge people like my friends to like go out and do some time and you know some some people like are absolutely against it they're like absolutely not like there's some type of in there's some type of fear of of this like experience to have alone and like that's something i want to dive deeper in with people it's like well what what are you afraid of like what's like so uncomfortable or or, like are people scared they're going to be bored like i I don't i don't know i've always found that anyone who tells me don't go spend time alone in the woods has probably never done it yeah so 
because it's they're always like, oh, the the dangers, you know, the dangers. And I'm like, so you've never done it? They're like, well, no. I'm like, that's odd. You know, <laughs> it's like you don't have the experience to tell me not to go do this because it probably is beneficial because I've done it a lot. Um, I love spending time alone in the woods. It's amazing. There's so many, like you said, the the sit spot thing, that's my favorite. You yeah. know, seeing animals on their terms. Yeah. Instead of going to see like a zoo or anything like that, it's like we force them into these cages, unfortunately. And, or, well, they could be in, you know, captivity for, you know, being rehabilitated, I suppose. Um, but yeah, to see a squirrel or a porcupine, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that so many Americans who go and see these national parks and see these wildlife, they're always like glimpses of it running away. Unless yeah. you're out there, photographer, you know, being a photographer, or like really doing something like that. But to sit and watch a porcupine rolling around in some water to like cool itself off, or yeah. to play, or to see, like I showed you that video the other day of the four armadillo babies like playing, yeah, and, yeah. you know, them coming out of their nest, and th- to you go and you have to put yourself in those situations. You have to go wander around alone. That's the only way to find those situations. Because usually when you're with a friend, y'all are talking. Yeah. And it's creating concentric rings to be thrown through the woods and the birds pick that up and the squirrels pick that up and then they throw their own concentric rings and then all yeah. the animals you want to see, like the fox laying down or cleaning itself, the bobcat cleaning its ears or whatever, you know, with its paws. It's like, you don't get to see that stuff. But if you just yeah. climb up into a, a big oak tree and just wait, especially at dusk yeah. or early in the morning at like four and just wait till about 7 a.m., man, you'll see so many cool things. It's absolutely amazing. It's amazing how well animals can like camouflage and like distance themselves from you too yeah um yeah I, I feel like i feel sad for the people that have never gotten to experience it because like like you were saying it's like in passing like most people have probably even only seen deer like on alert and like like yeah. pan- panic mode and so i think a lot of people's perception of wild animals is that they're always skittish and they're always scared but that's not the case they're just like you're threatening them (laughs) and you don't even realize it (laughs) i think one of the fears at least that i had originally uh what was that documentary the between a rock and a hard place where the guy like gets trapped in the boulder and has to cut off his arm and stuff oh yeah i've seen that he wandered deep alone and didn't tell anybody where he was going and when he was coming back that's yeah so yes please follow some safety protocol before you venture out on your solo journeys yes Things like that do happen and can happen, and there's been a lot of situations where people have been lost. Um, who is what staff member was saying about the cave systems of America and missing people the other day? Who was oh, talking about that? Yeah, that, I think was Jade, that, was, was that Jade. Yeah, Jade was she didn't that? like the. Yeah, that was so system. crazy. That was. I, 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 yeah, yeah, I remember watching something interesting about that. Um, a lot of people go missing out there, folks. So please do your due diligence of letting folks know where you're going, what you're bringing, what you're planning on doing, when you'll be back. And here's the last little bit of important information that um, you can always do. You can take a piece of aluminum foil, put it on the ground in some carpet or something soft, take whatever boots or shoes you're wearing out there, stomp into that aluminum foil. And the reason why is because when the search and rescue shows up and says, well, what shoes are they wearing? You can be like, here, here's an imprint of their exact boot and this aluminum foil. Whoa, (laughs) that's cool. Yeah, you can do that. Um, But just always make sure you're traveling safely. You're bringing the right gear for the right time. I always tell people, make sure you know, like the freak weird hazards that are going to be like if you're going to some Southeast Asian country and it's like tsunami season and you didn't think about that. You know, like what are fluke weather storms or heat waves potentially like you could 
affect you there. So yeah, yeah. Solo journey is exciting. It's rewarding, but please be careful doing it. So, um, what are some other things that y'all want to share with us? Is there anything you brought that you'd like to talk about? Cause I've asked you a lot of my <laughs> questions now and I'm curious if there's anything y'all wrote down that you'd like to share. I, I think, um, I would like to share just like a couple like profound stories since we're on like this topic of just like beautiful experiences in the woods alone. Yeah. Um, one of the most magical experiences that I ever had is, um, I was in like middle, like sophomore year and uh, me and my girlfriend at the time had just broken up and I was like really sad and like, you know, kind of like in this state of transition and just heavy emotions. And so I went back in my woods and like the highest point, um, like, like kind of like in the middle of the forest, like in the most dense part and um, sat down up there, sat and closed my eyes and, uh, uh, was just meditating and just trying to like, you know, melt into the moment. And in that space, my girlfriend was actually calling me and I was like, I had such a bad feeling about it and I go to answer it. And she's like, you know, trying, trying to like talk me into getting back with her. And as soon as she started saying that a coyote, I opened my eyes and I realized that a coyote was 10 feet in front of me, sitting at me, just staring at me. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to have to go. There's a coyote in front of me and I hang up and I just took it as such a sign like that this coyote, which I've never seen coyotes in my forest until that day. And I've never seen another coyote ever again. And it was by (laughs) itself. I feel like a lot of times coyotes travel in packs. It was such a weird, amazing situation. And this coyote was like, like at first I was like, my heart was kind of going. I was like, okay, I got to be like aware of this thing, but it was just calm. Just sat there like a dog sit and locked eyes with me and we just had a moment for like what felt like 10 minutes I don't know how long exactly it was but it felt like we were just looking at each other for like a good 10 minutes and it gave me a lot of calmness a lot of reassurance and it's like wow like I don't know how you you would think about this situation like but it just changed my perspective forever of like the emotional intelligence of animals or just like the, the signs that like when, when you slow down and just like, just look at the world, like there's so much that's communicating with you. And, uh, so yeah, that was just, that was just such an amazing experience. And I've, I've told the kids that one a a few times and, um, it's amazing. One of, one of my favorite prompts to, to bring up to the kids is to ask them like a, a favorite, like couple nature experiences that they've had. And it's amazing what they, what they bring up too. And a lot of other people have had these profound, awesome types of experiences in their own unique ways too. So stuff like that really, really inspires me. Carter, do you have anything to share? Yeah, I was going to say, um, one survival show that I really liked watching, uh, in recent years is called dual survival. Uh, yeah. Cody Lundeen and Dave Canterbury. Uh, on Cody's shirt, it said, "The more you know, the less you need." And that quote really stuck out to me. I'm like, "Whoa!" And I think that's what one of the biggest benefits of like working here is like learning all of these skills. It's made me more confident as a person in general and feel more self reliant. And if like you know, shit ever hit the fan. I'd be yeah, able to like go out exactly. there and like live in the woods, which has always been my goal in the first place. The <laughs> so, irony of it. Wrong, yeah. Right? yeah. And like, you know, and I, I tell that to the kids a lot. I'm like, I'd rather go out there with somebody like Mr. Chris, who knows all these, um, 
all of these skills because nature has everything we need. You know, it has water we can purify and boil, it has chert we can make into stone tools, we can build shelters, we can build fires with like hand drill and baseboard. Um, like we could do all of these things and like I'd rather do that than go out with some millionaire who's got like a flamethrower and no right no knowledge of like any of these Ten skills. million pound backpack full of stuff. Yes. <laughs> some R V all decked out with survival go bag, everything else. I'm not saying I wouldn't want all that stuff, but like yeah. I like the fact that people approach nature connection via wanting a more holistic life. Mm. I don't like that people get into it. Well, it's not that I don't like it. It's just like that I'm just a little bit like, maybe you're getting into this for the wrong reasons. Like people who get into survival because they're scared. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I hope that one day what happens is you get turned around and you start seeing the beauty of all of it. You know, one of the things that I experienced was when I was in Tom Brown's tracker school and they had this guy, it was like Michael Rupert or something like that. He wrote this book about like peak oil and collapse and Tom had him come and talk to us. And, uh, it was out in California and it, it was, you know, it was informative, but I remember, uh, Matt and I, Matt Corradino, we had a chat about, um, you know, it wasn't really vibing with us because we felt it was kind of like doom and gloomy. And like, we're not here to like sit and talk about like what is going to collapse and what's going to get destroyed and all this stuff. Like we're really here to try to spark inspiration and passion around nature connection and like animal tracks and having, uh, you know, I don't know, like a, like a bigger perception of being animal, you know, instead of human, you know, it's like, well, humans made these issues and all that stuff. It's like, well, but don't forget we're still animals and I want to connect that way with the trees and the bees and like all this wildlife. So I want our kids to have skills, right? That can sustain them should crappy things happen. But really I want those skills to be like fun. It's like, well, this is experiential learning, but it's also a lot of fun. And just in case I happen to get cold one night, I can build a debris hut or I can figure out how to thermoregulate in other ways. And, um, Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't want us all to like (laughs) be drug into this world in any other way other than passionate fondness and connection to nature, you know? So yeah, I think y'all are doing a great job by sharing these stories with these kids that, and parents too, so that they can hear y'all stories like who's engaging with their kids and what are some of their life experiences? Cause again, how often do you get to hear, you know, your teachers of your kids talk for a couple hours or, you know, and hear their upbringing. So I just wanted to say thank y'all both for being on today. And uh, of course y'all will be back on because it's what we do all the time. Yeah. Talk to teachers and educators and uh, yeah, we've got some good folks coming up. We have um, Hope from the Austin Zoo coming on. We've got one of the wildlife rescue um, directors coming on. Couple of folks from all over. So, uh, do y'all have anything else y'all would like to share? Any fun facts or anything like that? Mm. Before we wrap it up. If you didn't know, Taylor and I are identical twins. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I don't know if we even mentioned <laughs> we that. We didn't ever mention that. So. They're identical twins. You ever yeah, got confused who was talking or not? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually something that's been really fun with the kids is like teaching alongside a Carter is uh, the, the kids like 
we've been doing different age groups and all of his kids like every single one of them have come up to me thinking that that uh, that I'm Carter and vice versa so it's been really fun and I think entertaining for the kids to just like share the magic of being a twin and yeah all of the challenges and all the the fun stuff of being twins and we had a lot of fun the first week that I came and volunteered here it was Carter's idea uh the kids that he had all school year um whenever they were showing up Carter went and hid in the woods and you know we start after sign in we always start with a good morning game and so I'm I'm over here like talking to the kids but like trying to like right be Carter yeah be Carter uh trying to like emulate Carter's personality more than mine and it was amazing we like fooled so like 99% of the kids there was a couple that were really observant and caught on and were like they're like somebody was like you're not Carter are you or like do you have a cold yeah they're like what happened to your face did you grow your beard out a little longer you know like some some kids were able to tune into that which was cool to see but most of them were just absolutely oblivious and in the middle I just ran out in the middle of the ultimate ball game and and they're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. There's two of you. Um, yeah. There's two of them. <laughs> they're literally, literally rolling on the ground laughing and like screaming. And uh, it was just awesome. Just blowing the kids' minds. Like that was so much fun. <laughs> I, I forget her name, but she was just like running around for the whole day screaming. It's not Carter. It's Taylor. It's not Carter. It's Taylor. It's not Carter. It's Baltimore. And, you know, just oh, like Lord. whatever little kids' minds think of. And like <laughs> we'll have to do more experimenting with that because we only switched classes once in our career like in seventh grade one of the teachers came up and like you guys are twins like you gotta do this (laughs) and so uh we both played lacrosse at the time we had lacrosse jackets with our individual names on it so we switched that and we we looked a lot more alike whenever we were younger so um we switched classes all i had to do for him was take notes Unfortunately, I forgot that I had a presentation to give, so Taylor had no. to present for me. And, and keep in mind too that I was that like, "Is amazing." I was like a shy middle Ultimate schooler. Backfire. <laughs> so I'm up there. Uh, first off, I don't even know where I sit, and and our friends like, that where we do had I sit. Yeah, I was asking kids in the class, and they like we had told them ahead of time that we were doing this, but they didn't believe that we actually did. They're like, "No, you're Carter." I'm like, "No, I'm Taylor." I yeah, actually, like, where oh do I sit? Like, show me. And then they like just in time, they're like, "Oh." Well, guess what? You're the first one up. I'm like, no, no. What did you do? Uh, so Carter had this poster board. I, I forget exactly. It was health class. Yeah, it was health class. I think we were talking about different like diseases or something. And so he had a post board. So I just was like on the fly, just like absolutely like making things up and like trying to like read his handwriting and stumbling over words. And it was it was bad, but it was it was it was it was good enough that nobody noticed. And our teachers didn't even believe us. We told them like two weeks later like we waited a good amount of time so that we wouldn't like it would be you know it'd be passed but they didn't even believe that we did it so i guess oh we were successful. right under the radar <laughs> it was great so yeah we, we we did do that that was that's one of the most number one questions i think that we got we get asked as twins is like did you guys switch classes or anything like that and it's like we did yeah <laughs> we, we did a couple now of i feel like things. i have like an obligation to explore twin connection farther because like so many people are like i wish i had a twin it's like all right we're gonna switch just for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, that's good. There's definitely uh, something to be said about the humor in that. There's I have triplet cousins, Austin, Dustin, and Jordan, and I don't think that they ever <laughs> did anything like that. Maybe they did, but 
we I think we always encouraged them to do it. Yeah. And I don't think they ever did. I think they were a little too shy. Dude, but it's intimidating. It, it <laughs> yeah. intimidating. We were like, come on, do it. Do it. Do you it. feel it like hilarious. It feels like almost like internally wrong because I'm like lying to everybody. Yeah. You know, like all of a sudden, like I'm just like lying. But it's like it, it, it's a good lie. You know, it's like one of those yeah, lies it's that one of those, people love. It's one of those situations I feel like you're never going to get a chance to do this. Like, yeah. it's like what other human has this chance to do this? It's fun. Right. Um, well, thank y'all both for coming out here and being on. And I'm sure Absolutely. the kids and the families are going to love hearing y'all chat about your life and your upbringing and what brought you to Natureversity and what you're looking forward to and all that stuff. So we're wrapping up, uh, our summer camp program. We still got two weeks left. And after that, we are going to be rolling into our homeschool programs that run from September to May, and that is either Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. You pick a date. And then don't forget, we also offer programs on the weekend, which are our Saturday monthly programs in North as well as South Austin. And we hope that y'all join us and come out for some exciting adventures in nature. So thank y'all both for being yeah, here. Yeah, Chris, thanks. Th- thanks for having us. I think this this was so much fun. I'd love to be back. Yeah. yeah thank you so course. much for having us, Chris. This is awesome. <laughs> awesome. Y'all take care. Thanks, everybody.